this this series in Psalm 23 is is significant for our church, and maybe corporately, maybe as a you know as a collective, as an organisation. But I feel like it's significant for our church, as in you and me, and and us as members of this church. That um, the heartbeat behind this, and I've, I've shared this before behind unpacking this psalm and, and pulling up the handbrake at each verse to really dive into what it's saying is because if we're not careful, we can take some scriptures as either cliche, like I've heard that before, or we can take them as oh, just familiar poetry and a beautiful little uh, bookmark with Psalm 23 on it and we see a picture of a little lamb jumping through a meadow and we go, oh, that's cute. But, but the Bible is not cute. The Bible is not cliche. The Bible is God's inerrant word. It is filled with the truth from God himself to sustain us, keep us and save us in this life. And so I don't want us to become so familiar with passages. We go, oh, yeah, that's nice. But sometimes we need just to go that little bit deeper, reef up that handbrake and go, God, what are you saying here? What are you speaking here? And so Psalm 23 has been that um, for, for me and I hope for you. And I just pray that it would really do a, a deep work in, in the framework that we all have of understanding who God is, what God's done, and who we are as his children or as his sheep. And so I'm going to dive in today. Is that okay? Is that good? Good, good, good. Okay, because again, Relax. You all look a little tense. That's okay. Um, We're going to go into verse 6, the last verse in this psalm. And and just off the bat, I just want to just let you know that this is going to be more of a reflection than it is a preach. So I'm going to be asking far more questions than I'll be creating pithy statements for. And the whole point of that is that we would do some, some honest reflecting about our lives, about our value system, about our worldview, about our faith, um, and how we interact with those things this morning. So it's going to be reflective, and um, I make no apologies for that, because I think it'll be really helpful for us. So here's what we've looked at so far. Psalm 23, the first five verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or I will lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. And if you want to listen more to those, all of our messages are up on Spotify or Apple Podcast if you want to listen back to those different messages and today's will be up there as well. Uh, But before we go any further, let us pray. Lord, we give this time to you, we give this space to you, we give these next moments to you. Lord, we just thank you that what happens next will be revolutionary for our walk with you, how we see life, how we see church, how we see uh, what it is that you have given to us as sheep and where you're leading us as the shepherd. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me get out of the way so that your spirit and truth can flow through my words today uh, to bring life to each of us here in our world, in our families, in our workplaces, and in our hearts. Lord, we give these moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was sort of reading through preparing this message on this verse, um, what I I noticed was there was the first five verses... um, talk a lot about 
who God is and what God has done for us as the shepherd, right? He is the good shepherd, we are the sheep. And so it talks about all these great things that we just went through then about what God has done for us and his nature. Then in verse 6, I noticed a bit of a shift in, in how I read things and it was almost like David was revealing um, uh, sort of our response to those five verses. Because in verse 6 he says, uh, Surely goodness and mercy, or a lot of translations say love, will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's a bit of a response there that um, the goodness and mercy shall follow me, right? So a trail behind me will not be destruction and despair, but it'll be goodness, mercy and love as I follow the good shepherd. And part of that is I will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so I want to unpack that thought today from the perspective of that verse 6 is perhaps our response to what the good shepherd has poured out for us in the first five verses. So when we follow the good shepherd and we rest in his provision and we rest in his protection as he leads us in paths of righteousness, we leave behind us a trail of goodness and mercy and love for others to enjoy. When other people interact with us, they should feel goodness and mercy flowing out from us. This is the evidence that we are indeed sheep that belong to and are following the Good Shepherd. So interactions with people in everyday life. Now again, we're not perfect. We don't project to be perfect. We, we aim for to, be progress, to progress forward, not to perfect ourselves. But, but by and large, we should at least have a measuring stick over our life to go, hey, when people interact with me, when I meet people, when I'm with people, do they feel goodness and mercy and love from me or do they feel something else? Because uh, if they feel goodness and mercy and love, well, that's an indicator that we are following the shepherd and the goodness and mercy are following us. It's about how we interact with people. And then the second part of this verse talks about uh, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which speaks about God's house both in an earthly sense and in an eternal sense. So I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's like, yep, that's talking about the earthly sense, the local church, and an eternal sense, which is heaven forever when we pass on from this life. So I want to sort of break those two things down a little bit, and this is where we get very reflective this morning. So, first part, surely goodness and mercy or love shall follow me. So this is how I interact with others. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is how I interact with God. Right? So this is how I'm reading, this is how I'm interpreting this passage. As I'm preparing, this is what I'm going to want to deliver for us today. How I interact with others, how I interact with God. Let's start with others, shall we? Are you ready to be reflective? Now as I preach this, please don't think of somebody else. I'm not thinking of you, please don't think of me. Let's think of ourselves as we reflect on these things how do I interact with others am I good to people ask let, let these questions just flash in front of your mind and ask yourself these questions am I good to people am I merciful because surely if we follow the good shepherd goodness and mercy shall follow us and the only reason we can have goodness and mercy is because there's other people for them to interact with that Goodness and mercy are not for us, they're for others to enjoy based on their interactions with us in times where they need love, in times where they need mercy, in times where they need goodness from us. Do I show love? And again, I'm not trying to, 
to trick you into condemning you to feel bad about yourself like you don't measure up. If, if, if conviction comes, awesome, wrestle with God with that. But you might go, yeah, I tick that box. Then let encouragement flow into that space too and go, yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm really good at that. So often in, in, in life, we can see the cup as half empty rather than half full. And we go, oh, yeah, I, I need to be better at love. Well, maybe you're really good at love. Celebrate that. That's awesome. Don't, don't always look for the, the negative way of interpreting these questions. Um, am I kind? I love Romans. You know, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. The only reason we can have a relationship with God is because he first displayed kindness to us. Now, as his ambassadors, we have an obligation to show kindness to others as that's who we represent. Am I generous? Am I a giver more than I am a taker? Do I have a good Samaritan spirit? What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, how well do I treat people who aren't like me? My enemies, if you like, or those who don't think like I think, or those who hold other religious views than I do, or those who are of different ethnic background to me, or those who are different socioeconomic background to me. How do I treat those people? Do I have a good Samaritan spirit? Or am I just waiting for everybody to think the way I think, believe what I believe, in order for me to love and be kind to them? Do I see people as the Imago Dei? Do I see people, humanity, as the crown of all creation and built in God's image with intricate value and worth? Is that how I see other people? Or do I see people as scumbags, dirtbags who don't really have much worth? These are important things to consider. Am I a forgiver? Am I good at forgiving people when they offend or hurt me? Um, Am I argumentative? Or am I a peacekeeper? Jesus says, blessed are those, blessed are the peacemakers. Am I humble? Or do I have arrogance and pride in my heart? That's a big one because God pours his grace to the humble, but he actually resists those who have pride. Am I gracious? Am I a good dad? Am I a good mum? Am I a good dad? We'll talk about that in the car on the way home. (laughs) Am I a good husband? Am I a good wife? Am I a valuable asset to my school or my workplace? Or am I a 51%er? And you might be thinking, what's a 51%er? Someone that does just enough to not get fired. Or Or do I make myself invaluable by adding value to every place I am? because I represent God and his kingdom? Do I respect and honor leadership and authority? Man, this, this was, as I was writing this, this is a funny one because, man, COVID really showed the true colors of some people's hearts in this area when it comes to leadership and authority. And I'm talking about good, loving, God-fearing Christian people. I'm not going to get all, all preachy and political here, but... But when you know, the vaccine and QR codes, all sorts of stuff come out, I, I saw a real ugly side to people and their um, propensity towards pushing back on any sort of authority. It was, it was very, very interesting. What, what comes out in times of pressure really is telling about a person. Um, am I honest with my dealings with people? Um, 
all the, and there's probably a thousand other questions I could ask too, but the whole point of this is, how do I interact with other people? And, and just like, you know the old fairy tale of uh, Hansel and Gretel, and just like the breadcrumbs, right, are evidence of the path that they were on, so too goodness and mercy and love flowing from us to other people should be evidence that we are on the path of righteousness that the Good Shepherd is leading us on. Right? He will lead us to paths of righteousness. And on those paths, behind us should be a trail of breadcrumbs that look like goodness and mercy and love and kindness and basically the fruit of the Spirit. So, are we okay? Let's do a little time out, a little check-in. Are we doing okay? Good. I'm going to get you to do some more reflecting. Reflecting's fun. Uh, so that was how do I interact with others? Right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Behind me is a trail of, of love and compassion and kindness because I'm following the good shepherd on the path he has for me. Then we go into, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And again, we looked at how that is both earthly, as in the local church, and eternally, as in heaven, that we will dwell in God's house forever. So let's look at now, how do we interact with God? If we're going to dwell in his house, how do we interact with him and the order of his house, and the function of his house, his kingdom, his way? Here's the first one. Do I acknowledge God as my Lord, or simply as my Saviour? Massive difference. A lot of Christians will acknowledge Jesus as Savior. He saved me from my sins. But won't acknowledge him as Lord, as the ultimate authority over every area of their life. So if we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, we've got to understand that he is the Lord. Yes, he's Savior, but his saving leads us to a place of his Lordship. And it's kind of, but the, the hand is in the glove there. We can't avoid that. We can't say that Jesus is Savior, but he's not also Lord. In order to save us, he has to be the Lord of all, ultimate authority. But therefore, we've got to live our life in such a way that reflects our, our worldview, our decisions, our behaviors, our interactions with people and God's house need to show that God really is Lord, that, that we surrender to the law that he has established over humanity. Does that make sense or am I getting a bit convoluted because I, I could sense myself drifting into convolution just there I, I apologize um, but hopefully it was it was making sense how do I next question how do I view the local church if we were to dwell in the house of the Lord forever forever in an earthly and eternal context how do we then view the earthly context which is the local church is our view of the local church as convenient or crucial Again, I'm not dispersing any judgment. This is for us to reflect. When we think of the church, do we think of it as convenient? Yep, if I'm around, I'll come. If I'm not too busy, if, there's, if the weather's horrible, you know. If it's hot, I need some escape from the air conditioning, uh, from, the, from the heat, it's in the air con. Like, or is it crucial? Now, this is the house of God. I will be here. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will be in his house. Important to, to think of those things. Um, is the church a place I primarily sacrifice or a place where I enjoy the sacrifice of others? Um, and again, I know I interact with all, in, with all this stuff and just saying I, I'm not trying to 
bring any sort of public correction. I'm just trying to bring a clarity for us to consider. And it's my one chance where I get all of us in the room at the same time to bring this clarity. So, so do, do we see church as a place where we come to sacrifice or we come to enjoy the sacrifice that others have made for us to enjoy? And I was talking to somebody at a, at a, a party I was at because I'm a big rager. And um, as you can tell, I love, I love a good party. And uh, I was talking to this couple who just moved back to Coffs, had been living away for the last 10, 15 years. And, uh, so have you found a church? Yeah, we found a church, which is good. And it's good to be able to go to a church where we can just sit and not do much for a season. I'm like, what do you mean? They said, well, we came from a church where um, for the last 10 years or so, they, and they, these were not pastors, these were lay people that were just members of the church. They said, for 10 years, we rocked up early, about 6 a.m., um, and uh, the wife would strap the baby to a uh, little baby Bjorn on the chest and then vacuum the floor while the husband set out the chairs. Then they'd mop the floor, set up the AV equipment, lead praise and worship when the church got there, then take the, get off the stage, take their kids and a bunch of other kids out the back and run a kids program for them and then bring the kids back in at the end of that, then pack up and go home and be home at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And they did that week in, week out, every for like 10 years not being paid just volunteer. I said why I said well two reasons it's God's house and so where they called a sacrifice but the second reason is it just needed to be done the church needed to be cleaned the kids needed to be led the worship needed to happen like and so the church didn't have the resources we had the resources sacrifice so we laid it down we did what we needed to do and I'm not saying that to, to condemn any of us but I was like I just love that's the attitude and I love also that the fact that they're now at a church where they can just find respite to breathe and then get ready for the next season of serving and sacrifice whatever that might look like for them and so it's not about going 100% all the time and getting burnt out the last thing I ever want to see on my watch is somebody getting burnt out serving the church that to me is one of the most horrible, horrific things. And I've seen it time and time again as Anna and I made a promise that we would never let anybody burn out serving Jesus while we are the pastors of the church. But at the same time too, we're not going to say, hey, just sit back and enjoy the show and you can just, just, just consume. We are all called to contribute. And the ironic thing is when we all contribute, then no one should burn out. The reason burnout happens is because a small few take on a big load. But if a big few take on the small load, we diverse and we spread amongst us. You get the point. And even today, like I'm thinking, like going off script now, like we had two new people on our worship team. I'm not sure if you noticed. Uh, the lovely Beck Jessup was here leading, which was great singing, and, and Josh Harrigan over here on the drums, first time. Great job, by the way, guys. Awesome. Um, and you might think, yes, great job. They've come in early. They've practiced the songs all week and they've sacrificed so we can have worship today, which is great. But but they're not the only ones that are sacrificed. See, Ollie's sacrificed, wherever they are, where am I pointing? Right there, to make sure that the boys were taken care of and getting ready for church so that Becca come early and their household still functioned. Phoebe looked after five small kids at home by herself so Josh could come and practice worship this morning. And that service is not just to her family, it's to the church. So she could take Josh's burden at home so he could come and share his gift with us and so she's actually said, thank you, Phoebe, for, 
for sharing and sacrificing for us. So I think, and that goes across the whole church. And a lot of our church is young families. And a lot of the weight is carried by young families. And it's amazing. And so I don't think that the glory should go just to the husband or just to the wife. But, but there really is a team effort. I think of Beck and Joe with kids is another great example. Like leading C3 kids with their own young kids. And so um, I see a lot of sacrifice in our church and I love it. But I think there's still room for more of us to jump in and get, get involved and get our hands dirty and take some of the lifting up, um, which is awesome. So do we see church as a place where we sacrifice or we enjoy the sacrifice others have made for us? Um, do I tithe? Why is it so quiet, you guys? Crazy. Tithing's awesome. Tithing means, you know what, God? I'm aligning my finances with your purpose and your plan. You breathe breath into my lungs. I did not choose me to be here. I did not wake up on the, 9th, on the 8th of June 2000, 2000, how old am I? On the 8th of June, 1981, I didn't decide, you know what? I'm going to pop out of a womb tomorrow. That'll be cool and I'll have a life. And I'll create this life and I'll grow up and it'll be cool and I'll, I'll meet a, a lovely lady called Anna and I'll have some kids. Like, no, no, no. That was all God going, you know what? I don't have a Justin. I'm going to make one. Bang, there it is. And then at age 16, I found that he was the reason that I existed and he had a plan and a purpose for my life. So every area of my life now becomes aligned to and surrendered to his plan and his purpose as the Alpha and Omega, as the creator of all things, who has a plan and a purpose and has a kingdom with a rule and a reign. I'm going to surrender everything to him, including my finances. Not just my mouth or my attitude or my behaviors or my time or my skill set. Everything is surrendered to God. So, so I... And we have, for a whole married life, tithe 10%, because we know that that's part of us sacrificing and being obedient to building God's house so that the lights can go on, the staff can get paid, the air conditioning can work, and all those things that need, need to function can actually happen. So my question is, uh, and, and, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, how are we dwelling in the house? As a consumer or a contributor? So do we tithe and do we serve to meet the needs of the church as they are required? Okay, that's all I have to say about that. You are welcome. Um, if you want to tithe, you just scan the QR codes on the back of the seat in front of you and you can go straight to the website there. That's too easy. Um, do I connect with God deeply in worship or is worship a time of Christian karaoke for me? And... And I say this because I think sometimes, because we are so diverse in, um, in our experience of church and God, we, we can have our, our preferences. And preferences are fine. Like, and I remember once a guy saying to me, this was years ago, you guys are great now, you don't do this, but, but he came to me and said, Justin, the worship's wrong. I said, what do you mean the worship's wrong? I said, Pete, you're fantastic, doing a great job. Yeah, the songs we're singing, can't connect to them, not good. We need to do some new songs. Well, actually, they're not new songs, they're old songs. We used to sing these songs back in the 70s. And we would worship for four hours. I'm like, that's great. But uh, hold on, it's not the 70s anymore. Uh, and God's not there anymore. God's here now. So are we going to time travel and take him back there? Or how does that work? And uh, he's like, no, no, we've got to sing these. And I was like, mate, listen. And I had this God moment. And I've shared this before, but um, maybe you haven't heard it. But I was like, all right, what two numbers make nine? And he said, five and four. I said, Correct. Absolutely. But also six and three make nine. So does eight and one, so does seven and, and two. So no matter what formula you choose, if nine's the goal, there's four different ways to get there. And, uh, and if the goal is to worship Jesus and be in his presence, then there's actually many ways to do that. 
And the way you enjoy worship, it might be a five and four method of worship, and that's awesome. But we have to choose a method in this church, and we've chosen to go with six and three, which is more of a contemporary style of, um, of worship with modern songs and modern expression because it is a modern age we live in. And so the goal really is not necessarily the six and three. The goal is to get to nine, which is connection and encounter with God. And so if you prefer five and four, that's okay. And there's many churches that do things in a five and four model or an eight and one model or a seven and two model. But the goal has to be intimacy with God and connection with him. And I've preached in churches and been in worship services in Anglican churches and uniting churches where the worship is completely different to what we do here. There's hymnals and it's all very, uh, you know, people with out-of-tune organs that just cannot sing, to be fair. Uh, but I've encountered Jesus. I've encountered the presence of God. Because the goal is nine. The goal is worship, not the method. And, and the last thing I'll say about this, and just because I can, I think... Our ability to connect with God in worship is, is a sign of our maturity as a disciple, not as a sign of what the church is doing to make sure you get there and get the tingle. So I have, I have used this example before too. As I've asked Mangs, Mangs, what did you have for breakfast? And Mangs being the young 20-something hipster of the years, likes to visit cafes, he's had avocado on toast for breakfast. So if we wrote a song called Avocado on Toast, I know, humor me, this is a silly example, I know, but there's a point. We would never do, well, maybe we would do this, who knows. But if we sang a song called Avocado on Toast, and we're just like, guys, we've got a new song for you this morning. We're going to lift our hands, we're going to sing Avocado on Toast. Like, first of all, you'd be right in thinking, that is bizarre. I would think the same thing too. But really, as mature, mature disciples of Jesus, we should be able to go, you know what? I can worship Jesus to that. Avocados. Man, they're delicious. And just think about how wonderful they are. Just that softness and that little creaminess. It's like nature's butter. And they grow on a tree. God put them there. God created those things. And I think about the orchard that they grow in and, and how cool like avocado trees are and how cool they are in an orchard all in a row. And then if I zoom out again, I go, man, God created all of this. He created the climate that makes it able to rain and to provide all the things that it needs to grow. And man, God, you are so good, creator of heaven and the earth and everything in it. And I just love you. And I zoom in on this avocado, God, and you created it for me. And, and, and flavors, my dear Lord, you did not need to invent flavors, but you did. And I am so thankful, Lord, that you created flavors. Oh, my Lord, I worship you because of that. And don't get me started on toast and bread, my goodness. You are the bread of life, Lord. You will sustain me. I need... What have I done? I've worshipped God to a song called Avocado on Toast. But I don't care if it's eight and one, six and three, seven. And, the goal is to worship Him. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the end result for all of us, right? So, so do we see worship, that's the question, as a time of deep connection with God in His house or is it just Christian karaoke? Interesting. All right, gosh, I've, there's too much here. Um, how, what is my relationship like with other members of the church? Actually, I will labor on this one a little bit. Um, what is my relationship like with other members of the church? If we're going to dwell in the house, Lord, forever. I've said this before, and I've said that I've said this before many times this message. I'm listening to myself say this. I'm like, man, stop saying stuff you've said before. Move on. We are, our church is too small for big church problems. Yet we have big church problems in that we all don't know each other that well. And here's the problem, if I could be really honest. 
I could tell you next week where you're going to sit in church. I could tell you next week where you're going to stand when you have coffee afterwards. I could even tell you who you're going to be standing with drinking coffee next week in church. Why? Because I see it every week. And so what happens in that is that's fine because what we're seeing there and what I'm seeing there is, is community. People that, that join together, have great relationships, great connections, and it's awesome. But there is a slight negative to that which can be a little isolating for other people to sort of get hooked in. And so what if we had a bit more of a hospitality mentality when it came to church and we didn't just get caught in the comfort zone but we came here to sacrifice not just uh, our time to be here, not just our tithe, not just our skills in serving, but maybe we sacrificed our comfort to actually reach out to someone who we might not know very well. Or maybe a new person that is here and we go, I, I don't know you. And maybe an awkward conversation like this needs to happen. Hey, listen, I've been here for 20 years. I noticed you came here 10 years ago. I still haven't said hello. I'm really sorry about that. What's your name? Can I invite you out for lunch this afternoon? Can we, go, can we sit down and have a coffee together? I want to hear more about you. What do you do for fun? What's, what's your life look like? Like I think if we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, how do we dwell with one another in that space? And, and for the older generation and the younger generation, for the older guys, you have got so much wisdom and experience to impart to us and to share with us. And for us younger guys, we have so much to learn about how to be great dads and great mums and how to follow Jesus better. Why don't we learn to lean into one another and pull the resources we have of the local church and interact well if we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord together forever? That's all I'll say about that. You're welcome, Yvonne. Okay. Um, last bit. I'm going to finish here. Um, Go on, Joe. Go on. There you go. Let's just watch Joe as he walks. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much. You know, you couldn't have chosen a more awkward place to sit for the smooth transition to the keys at the end, but... Sacrifice. Cardio. Um, Can we thank Joe? He's awesome. And by thanking Joe, we're thanking Beck for all that they do. We love those guys. So, is communion, we're going to do that now, is communion deeply impactful for me? This is a question to ask. Does it bring me once more to the foot of the cross and remind me of the lengths that Jesus went to to demonstrate God's love for me? Or has it just become a little symbolic gesture that we just do every Sunday? Because here's the thing. When the good news becomes old news, it's bad news. When the good news of what Jesus has done and accomplished on the cross becomes old news, like, yeah, I heard that before. Yeah, we say this every week. And we become indifferent to it. That's bad news because we start to then sear our conscience to its power. We start to harden our heart to the the softness that God wants to put in and the power of the gospel to change and transform our life. So when it comes time to communion in our dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, do we see this moment as sacred? Do we see this moment as deeply impactful? Or is it just a going through the motions? I pray that it's not. And if I'm really honest, I've, I've, I've done that. There's been moments where I've been just agitated in a service 
and you know something's happened that's annoyed me. I'm like, oh, let's just get it over and done with and, and just rip it off and drink it. And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. I feel like I've in that moment sort of trampled underfoot the blood of Christ and treated it like a common thing. Hebrews chapter 10. But he's worthy of remembering. In fact, the Bible compels us to, as often as we can, to, to do this in remembrance of him. So I want us to partake in communion this morning. I want us to reflect on the significance of Psalm 23, all the things that God has done for us as the Good Shepherd and our response to that, as we've just read in verse 6. In John 10, 11, Jesus says this, I'm the Good Shepherd. In case I wasn't clear from Psalms, because it's Old Testament, like it's, it's giving us a picture of Jesus, that Jesus is our shepherd, we shall not want. Jesus is our shepherd. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads us beside still waters. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's what we're reflecting on now with communion. 26 verses later, he continues to say, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's an intimacy of relationship with us and Jesus. It's not just a God we serve as blind followers. There is an intimacy where we hear His voice. He knows us. We follow Him. There's an interaction and closeness there. Jesus continues to say, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is so much security being a Christian. There is so much security in following Jesus as the Good Shepherd. Jesus is the Good Shepherd who laid down His life for us. This sacrifice made a way for our sin to be, give, to be forgiven so we can be acquitted of the darkness in our hearts that subjected us to death and separation from God. Jesus' death on the cross made a way for us to follow Him. And as we follow Him, the Good Shepherd, we shall not want. As we follow Him, the Good Shepherd, He will make us lie down in green pastures. He will lead us beside still waters. He will restore our soul. He will lead us on paths of righteousness. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for He is with us. His rod, His staff will comfort us. The Good Shepherd prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our heads with oil. Our cup overflows. Goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in His house, the house of the Lord, forever. So let's take this communion. Let's take the bread, the juice. Let's just close our eyes. I'm going to finish, I promise you, in the next 60 seconds. And let's reflect upon all that God has done for us as the Good Shepherd. All that we have learned over these past five weeks looking at these verses. Everything that He has done and demonstrated for us. Everything that we have because of His nature and His power and His provision. 
made accessible and available to us because Jesus, the Son of God, entered humanity as one of us to live the perfect life we could never live and die the death we deserve to die because of our sin, but He has paid the price for us to not experience death, but to have everlasting life. And so the life we now live in the flesh We live by faith in the Son of God. We live by faith in the Good Shepherd who gives us everything we need, who restores us, who leads us, who protects us. So as we drink, why don't we thank Him? As we eat, why don't we show some gratitude? And as we partake together, Why don't we make the commitment that goodness and mercy and love will follow us all the days of our lives? Why don't we, like David, make the declaration that we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, both in this earth and in eternity? Why don't we just take these communion emblems in these next couple of seconds? that was broken, your blood that was shed. We thank you for your obedience. Thank you that you laid down your life for us. And Father, we thank you that Jesus isn't just dead and buried in a tomb, but you raised him to brand new life again, proving that you have power over not just sin, but over death itself. And Lord, we just thank you Jesus, that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to to be your presence and be your witness in our hearts, in the depth of our inmost being, to bring us transformation from the inside out. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you are leading us, you are guiding us, you are protecting us, you are providing for us. Lord, that we need not fear, we need not want, but we can just simply live in a, a life of trust and obedience to you the life we live is not trying to gain your approval or gain your love but the life we live is a life responding to what has already been freely given to us so Lord would you change our hearts, our minds, our lives forever from this moment on help us consider how we interact with others, help us consider how we interact with you and your church God Lord that goodness and mercy will follow us and that we shall dwell in your house forever. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.